How to create a glitch. Archetypal constellations. This episode is an amalgamation of material on the archetypal plate and a discussion of archetypal constellations. The emotional plate is the lowest of the higher plates in that it constitutes pure unadulterated emotion. Its vocabulary is as simple as the five senses and the internal emotions that we all know. The emotional plate is the strata through which intersections between expectation fields are formed between the physical plates among people. The content or vocabulary of this plate is crucial to the stream of subjective experience. When two people have a common emotional reaction to something, they mirror the expression of that emotion. When two people have a divergent emotional reaction to something, they do not mirror that expression. The archetypal plate is the next lowest of the higher plates. The archetypal forms the controller of the emotional plate in that the archetypal vocabulary and orientation of a person governs their emotional vocabulary and thus the stream of their conscious experience. Archetypal forms are of a limited kind. There are only so many archetypes that possess potentiality for individuals. Think of this vocabulary as the primitive forms of human identity, i.e. the fisherman, the soldier, the dancer, the singer, the joker, the father, the mother, etc. These archetypal forms are thousands of years old and embedded in the DNA of our consciousness. Many are simply the opposing orientation of the other. The symbolic plate is the next lowest of the plates and integrates the archetypal and emotional plates through orientation. It is in this plate that identity archetypes become ideal or juxtaposed in value judgments cemented by the emotional vocabulary of the person. The final and highest plate is the esoteric plate. The esoteric plate provides the architecture necessary for the plate universes to function. It is the plate which integrates the physical plates and the higher plates into a single cohesive structure. It does this through object-oriented archetypes of a limited vocabulary. Unlike the archetypes of the archetypal plates, which are personal, the archetypes of the esoteric plate possess only limited personality. Objects such as doors or gates, windows, bridges, pens, shoes, knives, cups or bowls, tables, possess this quality, though there are many more. If you are curious, the English language is woefully capable of expressing the personal aspect of these esoteric objects which other languages do by adding gender to nouns. Knowing the archetypes of the esoteric plate is part of mastering its knowledge, for each of these objects possesses a key to understanding the architecture of the plate system. Think of two doorways into a room as the only way for two people to meet and form common emotional experience if they come from two different directions. Second, is the archetypal, which corresponds to the essential roles of human sociality, such as mother, father, sister, brother, uncle, as well as roles within a community such as hunter, fisherman, shepherd, and roles within a social dynamic, such as joker, fool, etc. There are many archetypes but they are finite, the bedrock of human sociality preserved by thousands of generations, across societies and cultures. Very much like a cog or wheel within a clock is designed to intersect with other cogs and wheels according to its design, so too do these shells or plates act as to create conjoining experiences with other shells or plates at particular times. The mechanism through which this occurs is as described in a previous volume, the higher phrases the lower. Thus, an intersection between two consciousnesses in the plate of spatial location must be preceded by an emotional gateway. Just as, an esoteric gate precedes a symbolic intersection and a symbolic and archetypal. What does this mean in practice? It means that, for example, two individuals who link up in the plate of spatial intersection have a pre-existing emotional gateway relative to some object or idea. Thus, in our example, Two strangers who meet in the coffee shop will, as an example, have admired the same classic car the day before. As another example, two individuals will experience an emotional intersection because they share an archetypal orientation. So, for example, they will intersect emotionally, relative to some object or idea, because they share the same archetypal connection. So, for example, Two lawyers will develop contrary legal arguments, 
emotional intersection, in response to an archetypal gateway, the archetype of the lawyer. Of course, it is trite to say that, but I am not speaking in terms of conventionalities. What I am saying is the direction of causation through these plates is constantly shifting from the esoteric down, such that, if one learns to observe one's thoughts, one can see in the very moment of a social interaction how the intersections have occurred. Imagine for a moment that one were to develop the ability to comprehend the very depths and heights of one's mind. Imagine that in this comprehension, one could see that each thought, manifesting in its particular plate, induces an intersection with another in the lower. Once one is able to conceive of this in literal terms, it becomes possible to witness the congruity of each dimension of a social exchange as a direct consequence of the highest phrasing. So for example, a person sits in a conference room, which is being used as a classroom for students. During this class, the teacher uses a cup as an allegorical device to express to the students the need to empty their consciousness, so that it may be filled once again, with knowledge. This is an esoteric gateway. Next, the symbolic, the pen, must animate, writing the words of the teacher. Then, the archetypal must follow, the students assemble, all being students, under the tutelage of the teacher. And then, the emotional, the comprehension of the students in grasping the lesson. Next, the spatial intersection of the students and teacher in that particular classroom. Afterwards, the voice of the teacher speaking the words of his or her lesson. Next, the posture of the students, seated in their chairs around the table, which is a point of common orientation. Then, their facial expressions, expressing the moment of comprehension. Finally, their hands, moving as they write. Now, the esoteric comes first. So it may be that all these students and the teacher have schedules which allow them to know where they are supposed to be at a particular time. But in truth, the only reason they are even there is because the teacher used the language to express the allegory of the cup. Think about that for a second. Think about the implications of this idea, that 20 to 30 students and a teacher are all present, learning, writing, sitting with the same posture, because of the causal chain created from the words, empty your cup. Once you begin to understand this idea, you are close to appreciating the mastery of creation itself. In this episode, I'll be talking about three separate topics that are somewhat loosely connected. The first topic I'd like to talk about is in regard to narrative and archetypal forms and tension and symbolic forms, and essentially the idea that I'd like to express is that every archetype is embedded in a narrative, and through that narrative, through the tension created by that narrative attains through the apotheosis of the archetype. A particular symbolic form and the qualities of that symbolic form are that it essentially has the highest level of tension, or with which corresponds to the specific behaviors underlying the archetype. So, in other words, every archetype is embedded in a narrative form, and that narrative form manifests the transformation of the archetype into a symbolic form, which generally occurs at the climax of the narrative, or the highest tension point created by the narrative. Now that tension is reflective of the underlying social tension created by the juxtaposition of a number of archetypes what I'll call the archetypal constellation of a particular narrative. But all of the archetypes are embedded in the narrative and manifest through the narrative and achieve apotheosis or hubris through the narrative, thereby becoming a symbolic form. Now, I also mentioned how the symbolic has the highest level of tension corresponding to the behavior underlying the archetype. And the reason for that is because symbolic forms are oriented symbols, which is to say that they are dialectical in nature and as their dialectical nature, that they manifest the highest level of tension corresponding to the behaviors underlying the archetype. That tension is preserved in the symbolic apotheosis of the archetype, which is created by the narrative. Now, the second idea I'd like to express is the idea corresponding to archetypal constellations and gateways. And specifically, in the past, I mentioned how individuals can form archetypal gateways, which essentially means that there is some commonality, or some common feeling created by an archetypal characteristic shared by two individuals. And this archetypal gateway causes the intermingling of the underlying subconscious behaviors and unconscious behaviors of those two individuals. 
their thoughts and their feelings in the moment are passed between them. Now, archetypal gateways are also of the form that they create a transformation, according to a specific narrative of an archetypal constellation from one individual to another. So essentially, what I'm saying is an archetypal gateway transmits one individual's archetypal constellation to another individual through the gateway created by the commonality. What this means is, for example, if two individuals have an archetypal gateway, there's going to be some confluence of their behaviors and some convergence of their behaviors and their thought processes and their feelings. But so too, will their corresponding archetypal constellations to attach themselves, so to speak, to each other's individual social networks. So, what this means, for example, is, let's say, individual A has a specific set of archetypes which are oriented around that individual through the narrative. The individual B also has a number of individual archetypes arrayed around them, according to the narrative. When there is union between them, those constellations are going to transmit from one person to the other. So essentially there's a substitution of each individual's archetypal constellation overlaid upon the other individual's archetypal constellation. And what this means is there's going to be convergence between the archetypal forms of one constellation and the archetypal forms of another constellation. There's going to be some convergence between them. Now, this convergence might only be evolutionary, or it might be gradual, but it is certainly an observable effect in the course of one's experience. So, the third idea I'd like to express is a bit more complicated and will require discussion of the topics of one of the earlier podcasts in relation to suppositional thought. To start off, I talked about how suppositional thought changes the direction of causation creates an anthropic subjectivity that becomes a precondition or prerequisite for the continued observation of reality from one moment to the next. And through that anthropic subjectivity, Essentially it shapes being around itself from one moment to the next. I'd like to express what this podcast how that anthropic subjectivity interacts with the existence of objects of significance to the individual actor. So just as the subjectivity of the individual becomes anthropic or central to or preconditioned to the transition from one moment to the next, so too do objects of significance become prerequisites for the continued transition of that consciousness from one moment to the next. So, for example, let's say an individual holds an object of particular significance to them in their hand. That means that, whatever that object represents, it has some sort of signification in the mind of the individual now because that individual possesses within their mind some association, which gives the object significance. The structure of that object essentially becomes important to the extent that it is reflected in the substance of the ideal, which exists in the mind of the individual. So, what this means is that the individual's consciousness can only transition from one moment to another, in which that object carries the required qualities that reflect in the ideal contained in the mind of the individual. So, the memories or representations of that object within the mind of the individual becomes central to or prerequisites for the transition of the anthropic subjectivity from one moment to the next. So essentially, what this means is the object becomes a sieve of probability because from if the object wasn't there or didn't have significance, the individual would be free to transit from one to any number of different realities from one moment to the next. But because the object possesses significance to the individual because it has an ideal form which exists in the mind of the individual, that object then becomes a precondition or whatever qualities it possesses in the subjectivity become a precondition for the continued observation of that object through the anthropic subjectivity from one moment to the next. So essentially, what I'm saying is the consciousness of the individual can only transit to a certain limited set of universes in which that object of significance is present and in the same location as it was in the previous moment. It becomes a sieve of the subjectivity of the individual. Now from this idea, we can also see that any object or anything with structure which becomes emotionally significant to an individual becomes a conduit for the experience of that individual because it directs the consciousness or subjectivity of that individual from one moment to the next, from one reality to the next. Now, there's another point as well, which is that the structure of the object of significance or its qualities, if it has structure, 
will transition from the individual subjectivity into the social organization or structure of the social organization in which the individual finds themselves. And the reason for this is that once the mind of the individual becomes attached or associated with the given object of significance or the ideal of significance in their mind that shapes the development of their involvement in the social organization which they find themselves in. Finally, we can say that this reality that we seem to inhabit in the moment is not, in fact, a reality of substance at all, but is rather a nexus of travel into a variety of distinct universes. It is the nexus point between all of the many universes of existence. And I say this because essentially what I'm saying is every object in this universe in its proximity to it to us represents a conduit of our experience because as it becomes significant to us, it manages our transition from one reality to the next. Finally, what does that mean about our archetypal constellation? Well, essentially what it means is our archetypal constellation is simply a set number of distinct travelers who pass through each moment from one to the next into the particular reality that we do out of many and beyond, many on an almost infinite number of possible realities from one moment to the next. They are our travel companions from one moment to the next and the constants or the physical constants that we can describe through physics or mathematics of this particular observed reality are in fact nothing more or less than manifestations of the condition of having so many people traveling together from one universe to the next. So, the archetypal constellation of which we find ourselves in the limits, the universes that we could travel to and the objects of significance to us to limit within the confines of those universes, the particular universe that we will travel to. So, the three-dimensional reality that we seem to inhabit is simply a reflection of the number and form of individuals, which are part of our archetypal constellation. To start out, archetypal constellations were described as arrangements, or rather, relationships between archetypes, which each individual maintains as part and parcel of their archetypal gateways, or alignments. It was also explained in a previous episode how individuals can form gateways relative to certain celestial objects. The examples given were the moon and the sun. For example, two individuals who form a common orientation relative to the moon using any given behavior, create a gateway between their unconscious minds, which manifests as continuity between their unconscious behaviors. However, this idea can be taken deeper still. Essentially, Individuals maintain common behaviors at certain times and locations, and more importantly, at certain ages or in certain stages of their lives. As an individual ages, they exhibit certain behaviors at certain ages, and these common ages for certain behaviors represent the creation of gateways between those individuals. Thus, we can say that individuals born at similar times, will exhibit greater overlap in their behaviors given common ages and developmental rates creating further continuity between their unconscious minds as gateways form, giving credence to the impact of zodiac constellations. Now, the apparent link between archetypal constellations, the zodiac and the celestial rhythms are not however mere happenstance but rather reflect the fact that these three things describe the edge, and two faces of a single coin. The zodiac tells us that certain qualities are linked to certain periods of the calendar year being common among individuals. But the zodiac is just part and parcel of one of the celestial rhythms, the solar cycle. Likewise, zodiac signs reflect extrasolar constellations. For example, in the case of Virgo, we know that the sun is passing through the constellation of Virgo from the vantage point of the earth during the period which is commonly attributed to the zodiac Virgo. What I am essentially saying is, individuals born under Virgo mirror each other's developmental milestones do so because they share a common gateway, a common orientation relative to the Virgo constellation. I am also saying that archetypes are merely the deconstruction of a given celestial rhythm. If we could deconstruct every celestial rhythm, we would see that every archetypal alignment, every archetypal form, is linked to a celestial body or bodies. Archetypal gateways can thus also be called celestial gateways, and archetypal constellations can thus also be called celestial constellations. For example, the Chinese zodiac uses the lunar cycle in the same fashion. If it were possible to develop a zodiac for every celestial body, 
one could break down the full gamut of human personality into a finite number of cycles or rhythms, which would reliably predict the archetypal alignments of a given person reduced to the movement of so many planets and stars. It would be necessary to construct a zodiac corresponding to each celestial cycle. For example, the lunar, Chinese zodiac, the solar, zodiac, the planetary, the galactic, etc., which is beyond the purview of this podcast. The second idea expands upon some of the ideas explained in Season 2 Episode 4. Namely, that when one individual mirrors another individual, there is a transformation of those individuals' archetypal constellations onto each other. This makes sense because when individuals mirror each other, that is, relative to some object, for the time they mirror, they may also share certain celestial gateways. Thus, this commonality creates continuity between their behavior and those whom they mirror. Likewise, constellations become objects of significance to social actors as understood in Season 2 Episode 4, wherein we saw that they become a representation in the mind of the actor, or rather, they become ideal, and thus become a prerequisite for the continued passage from one moment to the next relative to the other constellations. They become objects of significance or sieves of probability within the system. In this episode 1 we'll be talking about the singularity of the present. The purpose of this episode is to establish how the seeds of the present are sowed in the past, and how the seeds of the future are sowed in the present. The manner by which this occurs is through the agency of our archetypal constellations and the gateways that form pursuant to them. I explained in a previous post what happens when we form gateways with other individuals, how our archetypal constellation will transform not only the other but also those within their archetypal constellations. I also explained how archetypal gateways can form backwards in time, meaning that our similarity with some other individual will increase backwards in time from the point of gateway formation. These two concepts are important to understanding the present for the reasons that follow. Number one, in the present, in order for us to join a closed social grouping, we have to form a gateway with every group member in the present. Number two, this gateway in the present will produce a transformation of the closed social grouping by our archetypal constellation. Number three, in the past, in order for us to encounter the closed social grouping in the present, we have to exhibit archetypal convergence to some group member. Number four, as our gateway in the present transforms the closed group members, their archetypal constellations transform us, such that archetypal convergence occurs into the future recapitulating. 3. As an example, we will start in the past by converging with our father-in-law as our future wife converges with our mother, as our stepdaughter converges with our sister, or her friend, converges with us. Etc. In this way the retrograde present constructs both the past and future, whilst we are shaped according to a particular pattern, according to certain predetermined events. In effect, the future is laid out in front of us, as surely as a child follows certain patterns as it develops. Only in our case we are talking about the development of our consciousness. In other words, the system is organically designed so that every present is the culmination of itself. Every past and future designed to accomplish its sole purpose or manufacturing the present. Seeing this is the truth, that every step is predetermined, every motion directed, every breath rehearsed until the moment is done and up comes another. Is there such a thing as fate? I dare say everything looks predetermined in hindsight. But isn't that the point? For everything that has happened will happen and everything that will happen has happened. And so on and so forth. In this episode, we will be discussing the formation of relationships and their ending. We will be linking our discussion to archetypal constellations. When a gateway forms between two individuals it causes a transformation of their archetypal constellations by the other. This manifests as convergence between the identities of two individuals which occurs because body switching makes them interchangeable. But it also provides a kind of insulation to them such that they do not exhibit reactive thoughts to the same degree as if they were independent. What this means is, two individuals with some archetypal overlap will maintain a state of less reactive emotionality, 
lower baseline tension, rendering their link one conducive to the acquisition of the tonic role in their encounters with others. To put it in simple English, when two individuals establish an emotional connection, any common social relationships will be reoriented to give them the role of the tonic. This will provide them a kind of insulation against reactivity, which will preserve their archetypal fitness. If this link or emotional connection or gateway is attenuated or deteriorates, the result is the loss of the archetype or decreased archetypal fit, which produces a loss of insulation and more reactive emotionality. To put it another way, this insulation is like a blanket of negation of their impulses. It provides them a greater corresponding concealment of the shadow parts of their being. When the archetypal fit decreases, it often has the effect of impairing the relationship between two individuals and the corresponding common individuals which comprise social connections for both. In other words, loss of archetypal fit causes loss of insulation, more reactive emotionality, less inhibition or negation, and loss of the relationship. The effect of this negation is the manifestation of closed thoughts externally, which increases the importation of internal thoughts by others externally. In other words, insulation leads to manifestation of one's impulses, which makes sense since it enhances negation. In conclusion, we can say that all apparently coincidental spatial intersections are the result of an emotional gateway. But we can also say that relationships or emotional gateways are preceded and induced by archetypal convergences. In this episode, we will be exploring the concept of insulation and connecting it to tension, the tonic, and some other ideas. First of all, in the last episode, we talked a bit about insulation and how archetypal gateways and archetypal fit eliminate emotional lability. I want to explore that concept further. The tonic has a stable level of emotional tension. This means that while some may have a roller coaster of emotions, the tonic exists in a stable state. That means that the tonic does not have strong emotional reactions, which means that it always hedges its bets, so to speak, or confidence wages. That is to say, the tonic doesn't project far into the future, or manifest, say, through negation far into the future. Which is to say, that it is not surprising that the filter of the tonic is broad and produces few folds in time within its timeline. Now, the tonic arrangement is produced by an archetypal link, insulation, representing the resistance of an individual to a wave of tension or emotion. In other words, the more people linked by archetypal gateways of a particular kind, the tonic, the more moderation or less lability in their emotionality. In effect, through archetypal gateways individuals modulate each other, limiting their emotionality. Now in the last episode we talked about how when the archetypal gateway between two individuals breaks down, becoming less fit, then it produces fewer emotional gateways, poorer communication, multiple levels of unintended meaning or innuendo, and more social tension. The loss of insulation manifests as greater emotional lability. It produces awkward social exchanges and poor communication. On the other hand, individuals can utilize an emotional gateway to increase or accentuate archetypal convergence between two individuals' archetypal constellations as well. To put it another way, emotional gateways can be used to increase similarity or create parallel structures between two constellations, intentionally. Suffice it to say, the connections between tension, archetypal gateways, insulation, the tonic and path of negation, teach us a great deal about time and the consensual reality. In this episode we will be elaborating the nature of the archetypal, symbolic, esoteric plate. Now, as indicated in a previous episode, the associations in our minds and created by our bodies create continuity and discontinuity between our actions. The corners of our actions so to speak, the places where linear continuity is reduced, represent locations where incursions of disassociated action, gateways, form. This permits these discontinuous actions to facilitate our union with other individuals far disposed in space and time, or to link behaviors of our own which are removed in space or time. Suffice it to say, the point is that, associations, between internal thoughts, play out, in our spatial experience, and associations, outside our minds, 
play a role in our internal experience. The reason again for this is that there is no fundamental distinction between the external and the internal as far as the substance of it is concerned. The stuff of being is one. Taking the listener back, if you recall, thoughts without personal orientation pass into our egoistic consciousness from outside, forming a personal orientation in response to our egoistic minds. It is possible to experience something before or outside its proper place in our stream of consciousness, if one escapes the ordinary conventional timing of action. Now, in the archetypal, it is important to accept that associations between people in the spatial world, created by relationships, manifest as the archetypal constellation of a person. This constellation is transformed and experiences convergence in response to our interactions with others. But an archetypal constellation need not deal only with living flesh and blood. Any archetype or personality with a narrative and a constellation of its own may produce transformations of our action and experience. Thus, as part of your archetypal constellation may be your mother and father, real people, but also were Dan and Freya of Viking mythology. Now, it's important to note that these fictional associations are manufactured by the mythologies that underlie them, but fiction holds just as much sway over the subconscious and unconscious as the real thing. And this is because any fictional, non-fictional archetype possesses associations to qualities, other archetypes and narrative which recapitulates those qualities. That being said, the historical consciousness of a person, the ancestral consciousness, maintains an association between that mythology and certain qualities and narrative, for the reason that those narratives held sway over the ancestors of the individual. Thus, mythological narratives built on ancestral lines plays a deep role in the archetypal constellation of a given person. But, and this is important, it need not necessarily be so, because although this is true, racial enmity is also linked to associations between given mythological narratives and an individual. Now, archetypal constellations are one archetypal tool that this author uses to simplify the ideas. Likewise a person's web of associations to that constellation or particular archetypes in that constellation, represent an expansion of the corresponding narratives into the physical world. For example, identifying scents, or visual cues, objects or materials, to given archetypes, associates them internally rendering the connection between the external and internal narratives that much stronger. The symbolic represents objects or idealizations of archetypes. Thus, the association between these archetypes and the ideals they represent, gives them preferential association within the narratives of the archetypal plate. Finally, the esoteric are simply objects with powerful associations in the collective unconscious and ancestral history of the species, which extend beyond mythological narratives, possessing technology or transformational significance due to their unanimous recognition between cultures and traditions. Objects of techno-revolutionary significance possess a similar power over association in the minds of people. Anyway, the connections between the archetypal constellations of people and their web of associations, represent powerful superimposed connections between the L narratives of the archetypal and the external world. These connections produce alignments of archetypal forms and increase archetypal fit, increasing and subordinating given narratives based upon the associations they're linked to. Magic is as much about what we build of our associations as it is our ancestral associations between archetypes and material things. But ultimately, this methodology tells us that these historical associations are arbitrary except to the extent they are reflected in ancestral memory. Which means that new webs of association, new archetype, new narratives can be imposed. Finally, it is important to note that history has witnessed labor mobility, which has segregated populations from their ancestral lands and from homogeneity. Thus, historical associations created by racial mythology have been undermined by technological progress and specifically industrialization. Labor mobility has produced fractures in the collective unconscious and highlighted racial tensions according to these fractures. It is important if the human race is to continue to expand its consciousness to not rely overtly on narratives of dubious fidelity to the unifying human story. In this way, 
The esoteric plate offers the best path toward enlightenment consistent with human elevation rather than tribalism. In this episode, we will be going through the process of social development and identity facilitated by spontaneous encounters. As described in a previous episode, the present is the product of a bidirectional convergence of identity. Every spontaneous encounter, note that I call them spontaneous, as opposed to chance encounter, because they are not truly random, is the result of an emotional gateway. But underlying that emotional gateway is a fusion or convergence of the two individuals' archetypal constellations. This means that when the individuals interact spatially, they do so pursuant to the union, and not substitution and displacement, of their identity, resulting in mirroring of body language, posture and posing. In other words, every social intersection which results in a relationship of some permanence reflects the bidirectional convergence of the concomitant archetypal constellations of the two individuals. The creation of a relationship of any kind of some permanence strengthens a gateway, creating, to some degree parallel experiences between the two individuals involved. Now, as explained in a previous post, Spontaneous encounters also produce or preferentially involve the exposure of the shadow parts of one's being. Meaning, that for every archetypal convergence there is a corresponding elevation of awareness of the self with regards to its qualities. So long as the spatial intersections of these individuals produce postural mirroring, they are effectively joined, with any corresponding, distance, reflected in the degree to which they form dialectical postures and posings through their spatial intersections. In other words, the trajectory of the individuals involved is reflected in the progression of their mirroring and dialectical postures and posings, as their relationship progresses to its termination point, at which time it should be possible to observe a greater degree of dialectical postures and posings. The degree to which mirroring remains post-termination reveals the extent to which the individuals remain in the archetypal constellations of each other. These are the mechanics of personal development. In this episode, I'll be discussing the functioning of individual religious paradigms from the standpoint of the system. Every religious system, due to its use of symbolism, narrative and its preferential presentation of archetypes, operates as an independent reactionary design within the system. It does this by engineering social exchanges through the principles of substitution and displacement, union, conservation and polarity. For example, the belief in God in the Judeo-Christian tradition amalgamates specific archetypes for the purposes of engineering the social organization of society and the family. Each esoteric statement concentrates the masculine into a specific hierarchical roles. For example, the father is in the son and the son is in the father, is an archetypal alignment. Or God, is ascribed the role of, king, shepherd, fisherman, etc. Each of these archetypal alignments concentrates the masculine in a given personage within society and the family. The masculine is merely substitution and displacement. Once the masculine is concentrated, it gives preference to displacement of identity across a gradient down the hierarchy. This produces social organization with the family and state. Now, the feminine is likewise concentrated within this social hierarchy through dialectical archetypal alignments. The virgin, she who is chaste, is preferentially designated at the top of the feminine hierarchy. The assignment of given features to the archetypal vocabulary of the family and state engineers social dynamics and behavior. Now, although some religions may share archetypal vocabulary, they also possess unilateral or distinct sources of narrative, mythology, symbolism and the esoteric. These distinct alignments permit individuals a different kind of organization. Now, although heredity plays a role, in that individuals may be compatible, with a religious tradition by upbringing, that dynamic can be displaced by more recent conversions and attributions. Nevertheless, being ensconced within a social network which is of one particular denomination, which models that religious hierarchy, imputes its alignments according to its overlap and compatibility. For example, let's say a man grew up evangelical but was born Jewish and converted to Islam. This individual possesses three different archetypal vocabularies with some overlap between them. 
That interface represents their compatibility with social networks of all three. But the family will follow the alignments of the presently ascribed grouping. And since the family is ordinarily one's closed social system, it will represent an out from these other hierarchical religions. In other words, outs are important here because the existence of an out exonerates individuals from approximate hierarchy through some sphere of their lives, giving them the capacity to resist displacement pressure from top down hierarchical systems. The elevation of the esoteric in the system relates to the underlying power of the archetypal architecture of these various denominations to influence outcomes even in those who do not subscribe to the tradition, through the institutions and social networks of their members. Now, the asceticism of various traditions, resisting impulses, fasting and other techniques of self-denial, represent the unification of institutions or social systems according to these given religious traditions. Particular alignments of archetypes produce given spiritual experiences. In this episode, we will be discussing gateways and archetypal constellations. In this episode we will be using letters as a shorthand for individuals. So, for example, A will be person 1, B will be person 2, etc. To start off, usually a gateway between A and B transforms the archetypal constellation of A by B, and B by A. What this means in practice is that similarities between the feelings associated with C by A, and D by B, will mean C, will approach D, and D, will approach C. But there's more to it than that. In some circumstances, archetypes reflexively applied by B to B will produce a reorganization and realignment of B's archetypal constellation such that when A forms a gateway to B it means also a gateway between B and D. Archetypal constellations are complex webs constructed out of rationalizations we apply to ourselves to explain our own behavior, as well as rationalizations self-attributed as a result of others' assertions. But it is also important to note that the rationalizations applied by others can cause convergence between two distinct individuals connected only by a common person. For example, let's say A believes B and D are similar. This will cause an archetypal convergence between B and D, created by a gateway between A and B and A and D which will increase the likelihood of spatial convergence and greater overall similarity. Suffice it to say, the complexity of an archetypal constellation can be mapped only with all of the available information, which is often in fact hard to come by. Be that as it may, self-assignment of similarity between say A and Z means a gateway between A and Z with corresponding emphasis. Now, the archetypal constellation produces three kinds of emphasis which are relevant, facial, vocal and postural. These species of emphasis represent an exaggeration or attenuation of visual and auditory similarities between aligned archetypes. So for example, if A and Z self-identify as similar, producing a gateway, then A and Z will demonstrate facial similarity arising out of attentional attenuation and exaggeration of facial features, vocal patterns and postural movements. Emphasis is produces an identity signature which manifests as similarity between two associated individuals according to their self-attribution or gateways. Likewise, these forms of emphasis are further exaggerated by consumer choices, which accentuate the facial, vocal and postural emphasis. Likewise, deference plays a role as well, in that emphasis can be so accentuated by it in concert with archetypal alignments. Now, it is also correct to say that we are all one to the degree to which we are archetypally aligned, which means that all interaction represents the evolution of our constellation. In fact, movie stars, gossip columns, are incorporated into our emphasis according to our self-identification. Likewise, common thoughts or feelings produce gateways to the extent that they tie us to each other in our perceptions of others within our constellation. For example, if A and B see the emphasis of D according to Z then we can say that there exists a gateway between A and B through D. In this episode we will be discussing the predictability of human behavior from the standpoint of open thoughts and relating it to how to create a glitch. First of all, societal archetypes produce predictable patterns of behavior in people to the extent that there is archetypal fit. That is to say, 
the system survives by imposing behavior patterns on people according to a set standard. I use the word, impose, because system members and specifically authority figures will punish people who refuse to accept the role assignment. Thus, the system tends to work toward higher archetypal fit from lower, concomitantly with gateway formation. New emotional gateways will tend to accentuate the archetypal fit of a primary archetype. Thus, an emotional gateway will form between two individuals which will lead to a spatial convergence and postural mirroring, translating the archetypal gateway into a spatial one. This will link those two individuals more concretely than purely through an archetype. From the standpoint of glitching, one of the primary methods of increasing the likelihood of observing a glitch involves producing patterns and breaking those patterns. Whether we are talking about spatial patterns or movement patterns or behavior patterns does not matter. In another episode, we discussed creating continuity and breaking continuity. This language refers to actions which follow a pattern, versus those that break a pattern. Continuity can be created by simply following a pattern one observed in the past, in movement, spatially, or behaviorally. Breaking continuity can involve moving differently, in distinct spatial form, or behaviorally. Continuity can be built or broken relative to the past, to another individual, spatially or behaviorally. All of this tells us a few things. First, it tells us that when we have high archetypal fit, when our behaviors are predictable, one must act in such a fashion so as to decrease their predictability. This can be done directly, or it can be done relative to some archetype. One can create an objective, observed, discontinuity from past behavior, or one can act out of character for a particular archetype. The more unpredictable the social behavior that results the more successful it will be at breaking the pattern. The above also tells us that thoughts which follow an archetype, that is, render a person more predictable behaviorally, are open thoughts. That is to say, they are predictable in that they release tension, in that they are highly entangled with the expectations of another person, and represent expectation-matching actions. Thus, we can say, that the more predictable a thought is, contextually, the more likely it is to be an open thought, with pairing resulting. Others will be unconsciously aware of our thoughts which will cause them to react unconsciously. All of this will render us even more predictable within the context. In summary, open thoughts render us predictable because they release tension, because they are consonant, which reflects a high archetypal fit but most of all, because they meet others' expectations. Actions which undermine the predictability of our thoughts, reduce the extent to which others will react to them contextually. In other words, suppositional, closed, negating thoughts, are negating because they fail to meet the expectations of others or they undermine them. Sometimes, glitching is about managing others' expectations, as much as it is about micromanaging the minute execution of a goal-directed action. Sometimes the best way to break a pattern is to break an archetype. Sometimes, it is simple as changing what hand you use to open a door. In this episode we will be talking about how social systems use appropriation to prune the social identity of group members pursuant to the social directive. In a previous episode we talked about the principle of conservation, namely that identity is never created or destroyed, but rather, it moves from person to person through appropriation. We talked about how every impulse even those, which we do not express, is expressed simultaneously by someone or in some universe, whether it is within folds in time, or whether it is simply by another person. We talked about how a gateway precedes all social intersection, how archetypal gateways produce convergence in both directions of time. We talked about how repression of impulses produces their appropriation by others. In this episode one would like to talk about how a closed social system prunes us, so to speak, by eliminating from our identity undesirable qualities through appropriation. The social directive tells us that being part of a closed social system means that we have to give up some parts of our identity to remain part of the group. Identity is a social construct created by our residents within a particular in-group. Some of those impulses which we negate, are appropriated by system members, 
but others are appropriated by the outgroup through gateways between system members and the outgroup. How does this work, you ask? Imagine that you have a bad drug habit. And imagine that it is undesirable in your social system. Perhaps one of the system members forms a connection, a gateway, with a heavy smoker. They cultivate this relationship while keeping the person outside their in group. Whenever you feel the impulse to smoke, they call this person, forging a strong link, talking about their common interests, while leaving out discussions of marijuana. Now, every time you feel the impulse to smoke, they reconnect with this person. The end result of this gradual process is the appropriation of the impulse by the outgroup member. The reason is that impulses preferentially stick to people by habit or reinforcement. This other person smokes with friends who reinforce the habit. This means that, and in general, habitual impulses flock to those with the social reinforcement to facilitate them. Now that's one example, but what if we are talking not about drug use, but faith in God? Perhaps you cycle through phases or religious practice and agnosticism. Your social grouping views your religious preoccupations as deleterious. This group member forges a relationship with someone who is affiliated with the same religion, but is highly religious. Whenever you form the impulses to practice, they rejuvenate this bond by calling the person. Gradually, the impulse is unworked from your unconscious mind and appropriated by the lifestyle of the religious person. You can see this process at work in your life by asking yourself the following questions Who does my significant other have in her life outside our social grouping? What do I have in common with those people individually? What happens when she communicates with them to my lifestyle choices? In time, by analyzing your own behavior, you will discover that your personality, through the social directive, is being molded to eliminate what are viewed as deleterious features by those around you in your social grouping. Now, the opposite is also true. Those within your social grouping may find their negated impulses appropriated by you. Thus, it is possible to accumulate impulses that are unwanted. The process through which this happens is othering, as explained in a previous podcast. Social in groups will divert deleterious qualities and impulses to someone by othering them. This is most often done by comparing them to some out group member and connecting with that member when you begin to exhibit deleterious features. Now, as also explained in a previous podcast, the individuals who enter our lives at given periods reflect an archetypal gateway. Every person in our life is bonded to us by some commonality. Our identity convergence with them going forward and backward in time. But, the elimination of that gateway through appropriation follows, resulting in our isolation and individualization. When this happens, it often leads to the end of the relationship. The people in our lives all carry pieces of us, which we reclaim, and we carry pieces of them, which they reclaim. And the process through which this happens is appropriation. That's the end of the podcast for today. If you enjoyed it, please like, comment, and subscribe.